This is Father Gregory Pine. This is Father Joseph Anthony Kress. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Boom. All right. Father Joseph Anthony, we were chatting a little bit before we started uh, mm-hmm. the episode or before we pushed record, and you were recounting to me some sweet uh, Easter glories uh, at UVA in the parish and in the campus ministry. How was it? Uh, highs and lows. What's good? What's going on? Dude, um, Jesus is good. He <laughs> He's not in the tomb anymore, baby. Um, no, Jesus is good, and his graces are abundant, and um, they're, they're phenomenal, and I as I was telling you, like Holy Week is chaotic and, and all that fun stuff. But some of the beautiful things that have happened in the midst of that chaos is that we had here at the parish um, what ended up being about 25 people receive sacraments throughout the Triduum. Um, and uh, we had, I think, what was it, four baptisms, like 16 people coming into the church um, or 17 people coming in the church and then another four, um, confirmations, people who just are completing their sacraments of initiation. And out of that 25, I think 20 of them were college students. Um, all four of the baptisms were college students and things. So like it was, it was something that like kind of arrested me when I looked out there and saw all of this. And I think there was like one person over the age of 40 there, not that I'm an ageist or anything like that, but it's just, it's, it really is a a stark reminder in seeing that um, there's this deep hunger for the Lord, who is the way, the truth and the life. And people are responding to that and uh, they're making sacrifices in, in entering into full communion and receiving baptism in the sacraments. Um, one of the things that I like for personal reasons and just, you know, individually, it was, it meant a lot to me that I looked out and I think out of all those 20 students, I I felt like there was nobody there that like I had to really hustle after anything. Like the students that were joining the church, students that were receiving the baptism. And I had so many students that were sponsoring other students as well. The ones that were joining the church and receiving the sacraments were there because their friends invited them to mass. It was their friends mm-hmm. who pulled them into a Bible study, and like their first contact with ministry was through their peers, and it was the peers that were drawing them, inviting them into that, and encouraging them to receive sacraments, encouraging them to seek baptism. And I did minimal facilitation of that, but it was really the students themselves inviting each other, and that's like, oh my gosh, so happy to see that, and just very blessed hashtag blessed baby just hashtag blessed that's all i am (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean apropos of what you just said two small thoughts one is i love the idea either a lot of images that are proposed for the church um but in those images it's good to kind of place yourself like what what role do i play in this image so if you know you talk about the church is the bride of christ you talk about the image of the church as the people of god you're like okay where do i fit within this one that I've heard, you know, is that, you know, like that the church is the church militant, right? So the church on earth is the church militant. And so there's right. a kind of, you know, like a belligerent sense, almost like we're on the attack, uh, we're on the move. And so you have this sense of, you know, like the church is as what, like an army encampment. And yeah. I've heard some people say that like priests are responsible for camp maintenance. Or you can think about the way that Pope Francis talks about uh, like this idea of a field hospital. Field hospital. Priests are kind of responsible for camp maintenance. And then lay people are responsible for 
uh, like managing the frontiers as it were, you know, whatever skirmishes and sorties and stuff like that. <laughs> now do priests lead their people into battle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For sure. So you don't want to insist upon an image with too terrible of uh, what simplicity, but I, I, I like this idea, you know, like this, this idea, this reality that your students are missionary disciples and that they're the ones who are getting out and getting after it. That's sweet. Love it. Um, yeah, my, uh, my last experience of something along these lines in, uh, in Switzerland was I went to like Swiss world youth day, um, which they, I guess they have on off day? years, not world youth day. Yeah. So they call it world youth day. So as to whatever, insist on okay. continuity <laughs> between world youth day and world youth day. Um, but it was out in the, whatever you call it, uh, the Eastern part of Switzerland where everyone speaks German. Mm. Uh, so it was like the Velt you can talk. And you know, it was kind of, it was a similar experience where sometimes in a secular country, you feel like as a believer, you're kind of wandering around in the darkness and you're cold and you're wet and you're lost and you're tired and things are pretty miserable. But then it's like you happen upon one of those three-sided Appalachian trail kind of like uh, shelters or whatever you call those things. And it's like, there's, there's like a fire prepared yeah, already yeah. for you in there. And then there's delicious food and drink and a cigar to smoke. And you're like, Holy smokes, you know, like life is, life is doable. Good. So yeah. when you encounter these, these collections of people or these, these meetings of, of young people who are very fervent and zealous for me, it's like that, you know, it's like, I've been wandering around in the, in the cold, in the wet, in the tired at darkness. I should probably use a noun at some point in this list. Um, and then you encounter a place in which the faith is very vibrant and, and flourishing. So not I, I, the, the, the liturgies that I celebrated did not involve anyone receiving any sacraments that they had not received previously. Uh, but I did have this experience on Divine Mercy Sunday weekend, which Ooh. was, while not of the same magnitude, it kind of communicated to me something of the same joy. Mm -hmm. So, boom, this is our life. Um, all right. In this episode, we are, we're going to talk about Marian apparitions. Why? Because Marian apparitions are the entire point of our Christian faith. No. Although, um, G.K. Chesterton once said that Mariolatry is the bad... No, he said it's the badge and boast of every papist. Now, was he being purposefully... You know, what would you call it at that point? Um, he was being purposefully contrary or being purposefully inflammatory, perhaps. Okay? But there is a sense in which whenever you're in Catholic circles, the Blessed Mother comes up. And it's for good reason. Again, not because she is of greater importance than the Trinity or the incarnate Lord, but she gives us an entry into the whole of the Christian life, and she does so in a way that is wonderful. So, uh, Father Joseph Anthony, when you talk to people about the Blessed Virgin Mary and Marian apparitions, do you have a typical starting point or a kind of go-to image or a way in which to introduce the conversation? Um, yeah, I, I think when we, or when I discuss it, especially with those that are unfamiliar, whether they're Protestants or, you know, sometimes you do find Catholics that are not very comfortable and familiar with Marian uh, devotions and things like that. So it's how, how do you encourage that? How do you introduce that? Um, I, I begin to kind of talk about the uniqueness of our humanity is the fact that we are body, soul, unity, that we have spiritual realities, but also physical reality and natural realities. And so what we see in our natural life isn't foreign to our spiritual life. So we have natural uh, mother and so too we have a spiritual mother in becoming and through our baptism being united as uh in union with jesus christ himself we then take on his his mother as well to be our spiritual mother and so it makes sense then that there is a certain devotion and kind of um 
don't want to say pride of place, but preference for um, turning to Our Lady to build a relationship with her as she then directs us back to her son. And I think for many people, we they see that devotion to the Blessed Mother as almost an end in itself, as if like that is enough. But always encouraging people to say like, no, 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 it's in devotion and union to the Blessed Mother that she actually directs us closer to her son. And so to one kind of establish her as this like not surprise and not a foreign concept because we know what it's like to have a relationship with a mother and how that's supposed to look and how that is uh, engaged with, but to see that on the spiritual level, but it's ordered towards, you know, uh, union with her son. And so that is just not the end in itself. So that's kind of how I initially begin to talk about it. And then we can start talking about other things, whether it's devotion to, um, the rosary or, you know, chaplet of the seven sorrows of our lady talking about messages and Marian apparitions and all of that, that all kind of flows from that first understanding of her role within a uh, connection union with her son. Yeah. At this point, as I was thinking back, we've done quite a few episodes on the blessed Virgin Mary. Cause you were saying before we push record, you had recorded episodes recently on our lady of Lords, our lady of Guadalupe. We had one on Lepanto. We had one on Our Lady, Mother of the Church. I think we also had one on the Rosary. So, yeah, we man, did rosary we are just absolute suckers for the Blessed Virgin Mary. <laughs> so, in this episode, you know, focusing on the phenomenon, the reality of Marian apparitions, I think a good way in which to broach the particular topic is to ask, like, what's the point, or why bother? Because you know, you'll you'll hear this distinction between public revelation and private revelation. Right, so public revelation is is revealed or is made manifest in our Lord Jesus Christ in its perfection and in its completion. So we talk about the period of public revelation comes to its end or comes to its conclusion with the death of the last apostle. So what we are doing then downstream of, you know, whenever that would be, 90 AD, something like that, um, we are unpacking the contents of a gift that has been communicated to us in its fullness. So when the Blessed Mother appears, you know, that would pertain to private revelation. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there are different levels of approbation. Some of these apparitions are kind of taken up by the universal church. They're enshrined in the church's calendar. Some of them would be approved, you know, by the local bishop. Some of these are still ongoing, you know, like alleged apparitions ongoing. And so they remain as yet to be proved in their entirety. Um, but, you know, we, we, we notice a kind of gradation, but there's always a sense that it's private revelation. And so some people are inclined to say, like, I don't need to bother myself with it. Or, you know, not only is it of secondary importance, but it's of a trivial importance. Mm -hmm. But I think that we want to kind of push back against that a little bit and maybe taking as our starting point or our jumping off point, this idea where you, you describe how we have a mother in the supernatural order. And if you were ever to tell your mother in the natural order that like, she told you everything that you needed to know by the age of 18. And then since then, there's really nothing that she can communicate to you. I think you probably get beat um unless your mother was not inclined to such type of interaction and then you might get something else fill in the appropriate past perfect participle um so what what do you think all right it's private revelation it is of a secondary importance and yet it's important okay so how do you frame that how do we frame that how do we go about describing that or getting at that getting at that reality well i think it's you know the easiest way to say is it's it's not nothing right it, it's it's not <laughs> <laughs> it's not nothing here, um, yeah. but it's not 
in a sense, like you were saying, it's not this new piece of revelation that's like, oh my gosh, never, this shatters and reorients and, and changes everything for us. It's that kind of, like you said, kind of unpacking and knowing the the Blessed Mother's role is always to direct back to her son. So when she does appear in a new instance or gives a new um, message or, or some kind of communicates something new in, in a private revelation, I'm using new there, it's a way to highlight some um, aspect of her son's mission and revelation when he was here on earth and how that's continually experienced throughout the generations, right? Through grace in the life of um, virtue and grace in the church. So what she is doing in sense is basically repeated reminders of maybe a different facet of the Lord's work here on earth and his continued mission now um, seated at the right hand of the father. So she's given these permissions, um, and it's, it's an extraordinary grace, but it's as a way to help us remember and remind ourselves of the work that uh, her son, our Lord Jesus, did accomplish and continues to work through the sending of his Holy Spirit and, and the grace and virtues of the church. So I think when it, we look at it that way is it's not like each new instance, like each different um apparition or message or whatever it may be is yes private revelation and through the different decrees of the church it said like okay this is trustworthy and this is applicable to a greater broader sense as a reminder of something else that her son did um so it's always oriented and drawing back to that it's kind of like a way to highlight in a, in a specific way something unique all right, here's an image that I've never tested out before, nor did I think of I love previous this. to five minutes ago. So we're going to see how far this analogy <laughs> takes us. All right, so our, our Lady is often likened to the church itself mm -hmm. because she's a kind of icon of the church, of the church's active receptivity, of the church's disposition, kind of vis-a-vis -vis the Lord, her contemplative disposition, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, now, St. Thomas has some cool arguments about why we build churches and worship in churches, mm -hmm. and he gives lists. I'm not going to list the list, one, because I don't remember the whole list, but also because <laughs> I don't think that all of these things apply. But one of the things he says is that it helps to cultivate devotion to worship in a church because you sacralize the place mm -hmm. insofar as it's a dedicated space. There are also prayers that are used in a particular way to dedicate that space to the purpose of worship. So it's set aside, it's consecrated. But also he says when a lot of people come together in the same place for the same end, it again has a way of sanctifying the reality. And it's in those spaces, right, where it feels as if heaven and, earth, heaven and earth are somehow closer, or like the division between heaven and earth is thinner or more porous or something like that. Now, places where Our Lady appears mm -hmm. kind of participates something of this character, all right, insofar as Our Lady is like the church, so too where she appears become in a certain sense like churches, insofar as that, you know, like division between heaven and earth. Uh, becomes thinner or more porous, and because it calls people together so as to you know stir up zeal, stir up devotion, and kind of create a space of receptivity for their what for the for the gospel um, mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. preaching and teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and I think that that 's a lot of like a lot of times when people go to these places, they describe it in those terms, right they describe it as a place of peace or of rest, contemplation, they describe it as a place of miracles or blessing or whatever consecration. And I think it's like, it's like that, all right? So there's a way in which we can say place in two different ways. Place is, yeah, you know, yeah. what we typically think about place. It's like where something is contained. But place is also where someone exercises 
his or her influence or his or her power. And so I think that we, we want to say that Our Lady is there in those sites in a particular way, in appearing first, but also in a kind of abiding presence, and that she draws these places to herself by a kind of maternal care and maternal solicitude. And as a result of which, when we go to them, we feel that, we experience that, not necessarily in a visceral way, like, ooh, you know, fascinating, but in the sense that when you're there, you want to be there. And when you've left, you lament the fact that you have left. And the way in which you feel homesick or in the way in which you miss your mom or, you know, however you want to describe it. So Our Lady is like the church. She kind of consecrates the places where she exercises this ecclesial charism. Um, help me work that out or say something completely different insofar as I don't know if that merits further comment, but, uh, well, I, yeah, what's, um, yeah, I, I think that's a, a unique way of looking at it, uh, but not, not unhelpful at all. And I'm going to go back <laughs> to like, once again, one of, uh, one of my favorite apparitions and one I'm, I'm closest to is Lords. And so what, what does that communicate? So let's play this out, right? Where did the blessed mother appear? Well, she appeared at the basically the city trash heap, the dump, the mm. refuge place. And so what that communicates to us is like actually this place that of its very self is is unattended and not desirable. But then it becomes this place of great grace and transformation, this great location of um, kind of pulling back that veil. So the things that in our lives are maybe places that we don't are, are the not the pristine places can be this location for great healing and grace. Um, so I think there's, you know, as we would talk about there, there's nothing accidental about the places in both, you know, geography, but also in history. So the, the times that our blessed mother does appear in these places, there's no accident in that it's very intentional and uh, to whom she does appear. So, we can learn a lot from that, you know, um, take Guadalupe, for example, you know, okay, the time and the place where she appeared, uh, was extremely important for the conversion of, uh, you know, of the native people in Mexico in, in all of that country. And that's continued to have its influence, uh, even to this present day. So I think if you look at that and, and start to understand, like you said, that she does embody this kind of, um, church-like figure of putting us more putting us in a um more i don't want to say like a, a, a just a direct contact with the lord um that there isn't uh, any obstacles or um less less mitigation in that sense it's more direct and that those places um, also those apparitions can facilitate that with the those that make the pilgrimages or those that, you know, hear that message and follow the instructions in that way. Um, in the time that remains, maybe we could just touch on a few Marian apparitions uh, and the way in which they realize the ideal that we've set forward, how they serve as a kind of maternal love or how mm -hmm. they serve as a gospel reminder or how they serve as a peculiar place in which heaven and earth meet. I was thinking, you know, when you're talking about Guadalupe, I remember the first time I studied Guadalupe, just preparing a homily for the feast day itself. It was something like on average in the years that followed, you know, for like the yeah. next half century, it was like over 3000 people converted on it, like uh, every day, right? So it wasn't every day that 3000 people converted, but if you take it all together and then divide it by the number of days, you know, between the moment she appeared and then like, I think it was like the subsequent whatever decade or couple, 
um, it, it worked out to be over 3000 people a day, which is like a Pentecost every day. Which is Dude, that is so cool. Oh, yeah. But like you, you think about the way that she accommodated the gospel message in no way taking away from it. Right. No. She doesn't yeah. dilute the gospel message, but she translates it in a way that is easily more easily received by her children. So she's like, all right, I'm going to appear to you as a mestizo woman who is pregnant, identifiably so, but who is arrayed with all of the symbology of yeah. the Aztec, you know, like pantheon in a way that shows me supreme. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's, it shows me as one bearing he who is yet most supreme. And so like the way in which she communicates the gospel is like a mother feeding her child Gerber baby food with infinite patience as the child <laughs> continues to spit up each bite. She's like, no, no, no. She's like, this is good for you. Mm-hmm. And you are going to be nourished by it. And they were. And they converted in incredible numbers. So Our Lady of Guadalupe, fascinating. Big fan. Um, <laughs> big fan. Well, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of all of them. Um, I, I remember, um, I think it was Fulton J. Sheen talked about uh, how Fatima, the place of pilgrimage and um, the apparitions of Fatima. Fatima as a, as a location has become a place of penance, whereas Lourdes is a place mm-hmm. of faith and how both are important. You know, but you you see those at you know probably two of the most um most popular pilgrimage sites and and apparition sites in Europe. Um, but he he spoke of them that way, and to see like oh you know how neither of those images, neither of those um, apparitions or places of pilgrimage they con- they don't contradict each other. They both are actually building on each other, but they just they focus and highlight a different aspect. Um, and you know I can think of um. Oh man, I, it's it's um, Rosa Mystica, the apparitions of Our Lady Rosa Mystica. How she refocuses on the Eucharist and the priesthood and the sacramental engagement with her son, and helps to increase the devotion to that uh, with certain messages. So um, I think it's it's really a beautiful thing, but it it is about that kind of maternal reminder. You, you use this off air, so I don't want to steal it from you, but it's about like the the mother kind of constantly reminding you to to do what you're supposed to, right? Clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, like get your house in order, like return back to my son, return to my son, return to my son. Um, and it's that just repeated reminders that we, because our fallen human nature need, we're finicky. We lose focus. We forget things. And we need that kind of maternal persistence that she hasn't, um, that she's going to continue to remind us in that way. Yeah, I'm thinking one of my, you know, like formative experiences as a child is when you, you know, like, what what do you want from your parents? You want them to love you. You want them to trust you. If you get other things besides that, it's like, wow, in addition. But basically, you just want to know that you are good. You want to know that you are, that you are trustworthy. And then that makes you to be so because in the eyes of your parents, you are made what you hope to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result of which, it's very disconcerting when you disappoint your parents, you know, oh and your gosh. parents, yeah. you know, they, like they try to kind of soften the experience of it. They don't try to communicate the full weight of their disappointment. But when you know that you've disappointed your parents, you're like, oh my gosh, I am a turd. Dude, um, the, the worst line, I'm not that's upset, like, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I did it. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, my parents were, were relatively, um, what would you say, chill about these types of things. They had infinite patience with my hijinks. So God bless them for it. Um, <laughs> But um, Our Lady of La Salette, she, she basically comes to express her sorrow at Francis' sins. Um, and, and some of the words that she uses are just brutal. 
Um, she <laughs> says something like, my son's arm is very heavy. It's like, oh my gosh, are you talking about his smiting arm? Now, this is a very peculiarly 19th century apparition, which expresses itself in very peculiarly 19th century form. Um, but uh, you feel that. I went to La Salette. This is actually a hilarious trip. I was there <laughs> on the way to Lourdes during the semester that we spent in Austria. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And uh, everyone else went through Paris. I went through Grenoble because La Salette is just to the south of Grenoble, but it's straight up into the Alps. There's a bus that goes there, but it left earlier than I arrived in the city. The taxi cost like 300 euro, which was not going to happen. Never will happen. And um, let's see, to rent a car, he had to be 21. And I was 19 at the time. So I did what every normal person would 19 do. 19-year-old American a, in France would do. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I rented a moped. Um, so I drove a moped through a variety of you know like dubious roads, some of which were major auto routes where people were cruising by me at an alarming speed. Uh, but mostly just straight up into the mountains. And at times I was going like a whole 12 kilometers, no, 12 miles per hour, where it was like, it's like I could have skateboarded faster. It's fascinating. But I arrived there. And in addition to like taking a thousand deep breaths on account of the fact this two hour and 20 minute trip hadn't killed me, though it ought to have at a variety of points, especially when it started raining. I, I arrived and I just felt like, I just felt our Lord and our Lady's sorrow. Now that's, I mean, have I felt anything in my life? No, I'm of Irish descent, so I don't know what feelings are. Right. But there was a sense in which there was like a kind of brooding sadness, which which hung upon the place and, and, and something that kind of got into the bones of both of the visionaries like Melanie and Maxine. They both tried a vocation. They both left. Um, they both experienced, you know, just great difficulty throughout the course of their lives. I think the curie of ours didn't even believe them. They're like, what's the point? Our Lady, you just come to us. This is just ruination and woe. Um, but it's a reminder of the fact that that sin is, you know, sin is terrible. Right. And sin does ruin your life. And Our Lady kind of directs our attention to that in a very simple and maternal way and then sends us on our way. And let me say that being sent on my way coming out of the Alps was a rush. Um, the fact that I didn't die, also a miracle. So evidently Our Lady had plans for at least the next day of my life. It's hard to say anything beyond that. But yeah, La Salette. Ooh, I don't know if I'm ever going to go back there again. <laughs> Not on a moped, bro. Like... Oh my gosh. Uh, you were going down that bit. mountain a little faster than 12 miles an hour, huh? I was. Yeah. It was um yeah, I was. It was kind of like in a cartoon movie where the cheeks start flapping and the you know like the the eyebrows get plastered to your forehead. It was one of those things. I I tried not to think about the fact that I was certainly going to die if I ever made a false move. Um and it was great. And I arrived, I returned my moped, I ate a pizza, I got on a train, I fell asleep. It was it was great. Um yeah. So, all right. I know you've been to Lourdes for the um, yes, you know, for the the trip that was done each year with uh, with Steubenville from the Austria campus. But uh, I mean, in the in the time that we have left, any other favorite go to places, places in which you experience our Blessed Mother's love and care in a peculiar way? Yeah, I mean, this is um, this is a little more proximate, but I would say the National Shrine in Washington D.C. I mean, we lived right across the street. Sure. I went there all the time. I mean, I would, I would just walk across the street and, you know, duck into every little chapel, the specifically the Lord's chapel there. I felt definitely a lot of peace. It's kind of this very, um, yeah, this very cozy, um, peaceful chapel there. Um, happy to say that, you know, all my major moments in my religious vocation happened there. So solemn vows, diaconate ordination, priestly ordination. So there's like a deep reverence and, um, sense of this kind of, new birth uh through my religious vocation and priesthood that that's connected there but yeah i i think that that shrine itself is a deep place of pilgrimage and there's definitely 
um, our lady's presence in maternal care throughout the, that entire place, um, through all the upper church and all the different shrines and mosaics that depict her in the variety of apparitions and uh, national patronages and all that stuff. But I would say for me, um, even though it, you know, most people think it's a domestic and what good can come from America with like the history of the faith, <laughs> but like there is a, a true sense of Our Lady's maternal um, love and care in that place. So yeah, I think that would be the other place for me. Nice. Big thing in the life of my family, my own personal life, uh, was Medjugorje, which for a while the church hadn't made a judgment on and the local bishop was not so keen on. But subsequently the Vatican, you know, after having sent a couple of commissions, has mm -hmm. judged positively on the first few days of the apparitions. Now, mind you, it's been ongoing for 40 years, so <laughs> that's just the, just the beginning. Uh, but yeah, my family, we went together in 1991 for the first time and then went back in 1996. And then my parents started leading pilgrimages there like once, twice, even sometimes three times a year uh, of folks from our parish, from the area, from the U.S. more broadly. And it became a source, a real source of grace in the life of my family, in the life of my parish, and then in my own personal life. So that the summer that I got pumped about becoming a Dominican, a priest, uh, we went to Medjugorje. It was great. It was a hilarious <laughs> trip. Um, and then in concert with that, I read a book about St. Thomas Aquinas and I was like, let's go. Blessed Mother, St. Thomas Aquinas, what else is there in life? I want to love the Lord this way. <laughs> but um it's a good one for it's me a like way. a lot a lot of step it, it is a good way yeah um a lot of steps along the way were precipitated by like gems that had been mined in Medjugorje I remember actually like the moment where I recognized the fact that faith wasn't a feeling uh because I was I was searching for the feeling so hard because I'd been to youth conferences and people yeah. were just jazzed about Jesus and I was like am I dead inside or double <laughs> dead inside and and in Medjugorje there's a recognition it's like hey chief no big, all right? What matters is that you show up. What matters is that you believe. And to believe is to think with assent. And assent means that it's a, it's a choice, you know? So you don't fall in and out of faith like you fall in and out of love. You just choose to show up. I give you the grace to do so. And we go from there. And I was like, all right, I can, I can do that. M through like much blubbering tears, like faith is a feeling. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm just profoundly grateful for all the ways in which the Blessed Virgin Mary has made the Lord's love known to me mm -hmm. in places like Medjugorje, Lord's Fatima, et cetera, because yeah, it's been, it's, yeah, it's been a huge part of my, my walk with the Lord, my life of faith. So boom, let's go. Let's All right. Go. This is us just living our best lives, living, living lives for the Lord with mm. blessed Virgin Mary's intercession and encouragement. Um, so we hope that these marrying graces, if they are not already a part of your lives, that they become so, not because we are Mary Oliders, uh, but because we are profoundly human and that obtains in the order of nature and in the order of supernature. So you have a mother in heaven and she loves you. Boom. Thanks to all of our supporters. If you'd like to tie it to our work, please check us out at patreon.com slash Godsplaining. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review, all of which helps to get the word out so people can listen to the podcast and hopefully enter the church next Easter at UVA. Uh, visit godsplanning.org to shop our merchandise, which we will be updating shortly. Stay tuned for that uh, based on the new rebrand. So cool things coming out. And get dates and information for upcoming Godsplanning events, the coolest of which are the three retreats, which are to be this summer, July and August in New York and in North Carolina. So go to godsplanning.org to get details and to apply for those things. All right, our prayers are for you. 
Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on God's Planning.